Matthew 3 and 4 are really setting up Jesus' public ministry, which begins kind of earnestly in uh, chapter 5 with the Sermon on the Mount. We'll look at that next week. We've looked at John the Baptist, how he prepared the way for Jesus, Jesus' temptation and baptism. And uh, today we want to look at three quick snapshots. They're summary statements of what Jesus did and how he operated. And everything that he does from Matthew 5 on, you can tie back to one of these summary statements that we're going to look at. It's giving us, it's just a, it's a bumper sticker of Jesus' ministry and his methods. We're going to start in verse 12. Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison. He returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And here's the key verse for us. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So that's Jesus' message. Everything in the Gospels that he says is an expounding of repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so we want to look at that in a little bit of detail this morning, each of those uh, pieces. Repent, that means to acknowledge that you're... Uh, to acknowledge that you're walking in the wrong direction and then to turn and begin to walk in the right direction. If I could say it this way, uh, to repent is to turn away from everything that is a distraction or a diversion to loving God and then turning to God in humility and devotion. So it's a recognition, all right, there's some things in my life, they might not be heinous sins, but there's some things in my life that are obstacles that are getting in the way to me being fully devoted to God. And so I'm going to turn away from those things and turn towards him in a more complete way. So there's, there's two parts. Repentance is not feeling sorry. It's not feeling guilty. It's not even acknowledging that there's some things in your life that are not good. That's part of it. But the rest to, to truly repent biblically is to actually turn in the other direction. So you need both of those things, a recognition that you're moving in the wrong direction and then a, and then a turning to the right direction. So repent for the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is a tricky concept for us. We don't have a lot of experience with kingdom. We live in a country that rebelled against a kingdom. And so for us, that's not something that we have a lot of firsthand experience, but it's the heart of Jesus's message. Mark and Luke talk about the kingdom of God. Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven. They're synonyms. They're the same thing. If we can begin to understand that, it will help us a ton with the stuff that Jesus talks about, and it'll help us navigate through some of the um, confusion that we can have uh, in life in terms of relating to God. So when you hear the phrase kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, a few things for you to think about. It's not geographic. You can't find the kingdom of God on a map like you can the state of Georgia. The kingdom of God is within us. That's what Luke seventeen twenty says. It's um, in Matthew 6, 10, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. So if it helps you, thinking about the kingdom. I want you thinking about God's will being done. Everywhere God's will is done, that's when God's kingdom has come. So God's kingdom is his rule or his reign, not necessarily a realm. There will be a realm in the future. That's just not where we live right now, where it's primarily about some territory or some area. It's primarily about our hearts and our lives. So every place that God's will is being done, that's an expression of, of his kingdom. So if you're a Christian, then his kingdom is within you because you've aligned yourself with him and said, I'm going to follow you. 
I'm going to do your will in my life so that his kingdom is within you, in your place of business or in your home or in your school or in your neighborhood. If you choose to forgive instead of holding someone in judgment, well, then the kingdom has come in that decision because you're embracing and embodying one of the values of the king, which is forgiveness versus judgment. If you choose reconciliation over blowing up a relationship, the kingdom has come in that situation because you've chosen a value of the king, peace, over a value of the world, which is you cut people off if they burn you, that type of thing. Uh, the kingdom for us now, it's, uh, it's breaking in. It's not fully here. And this is where I think a lot of our struggle comes in. Uh, God is, his kingdom is advancing. He's establishing it. It's ongoing. It's not permanent and fully and finally here yet. And so there's, uh, we, there's signs of the kingdom. John, all of the miracles in the gospel of John are called signs. They're pointing to the fact that the kingdom is coming. So healing, for instance, that's a sign of the kingdom. That's why Jesus healed people, not just because he was a nice guy or he had compassion, but in healing people, he was saying, see the power of sickness, it's being defeated. Jesus, when he pronounced forgiveness, that was a sign of the kingdom. See, the power of sin is being defeated. When he cast demons out of people, that was a sign of the kingdom. See, the kingdom of God is stronger than the kingdom of darkness. I can, Jesus saying, I can actually evict Satan. From somebody's life because the kingdom of light or the kingdom of God is advancing. Those are all signs that point to the fact that the kingdom is coming. But we know people still get sick and people still die. And we still have the, the ramifications of sin are still with us. So the kingdom is coming, just not fully established yet. So we pray for people because the kingdom is coming. And as an expression of that, God can heal them physically. But not everybody's going to be healed because the kingdom isn't here completely. If you can hear the difference between those two. Now, the kingdom is absolute. Even though it's just breaking in, it is absolute. And I think this can be another part that's tricky for us because we don't live in a kingdom. None of us, I, I don't believe, have any experience with that. We live in kind of a pick-and-choose government. We participate as we want. We kind of follow the rules that we want to. That type of, that's not how it works in a kingdom. The king has absolute authority over every area of life. So although the kingdom is just partially breaking in, it's absolute in terms of its demands upon us. Let me read you a few verses. This is from the life of David. He was the second king of Israel. This is 1 Samuel sixteen thirteen. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. So Saul's the first king of Israel. And God rejects him at some point in his reign, but he continues to sit on the throne for at least 15 years, maybe 20 years after God has said, I'm done with you, and after God has anointed David. So David is the king in God's eyes, way before he's the king in anyone else's eyes. Before he's publicly anything, in God's eyes, he's the king. He set him apart. When Jesus was born, he was born as what? The king of the Jews. When we looked at the the wise men, that's what they said. They go to Herod and say, where's the king of the Jews? And that's why Herod gets all upset and kills all these kids. It's because he's trying to get rid of any rivals to his throne. And so Jesus was identified as king from the moment he was conceived, when he, he was born as the king of the world. First step. Second, this is 1 Samuel 22. David left Gath, escaped to a cave. When his brothers and his father's house heard about it, they went down to him there. So David's living in a cave in the wilderness. His family comes to him. And then here's his group. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented, 
That's a great group of people gathered around him and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. So that's David's kingdom. He doesn't have a geographic area. He's on the run from Saul. What he has is 400 men who said, I'm following you. I recognize something in you. You're my guy. That's where we live now. That's the, that's what the kingdom of God looks like now. We have the choice from, from Jesus' public ministry until he returns. So from what you read in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, until he comes back, we live in this time where we can voluntarily choose to identify with Jesus as the king. There's, I, I'm responding to you. I'm going to choose to align myself with you. I'm going to choose to live under your care and under your supervision, then you're a part of the kingdom of God because you've made a voluntary choice to follow him, even though you can walk outside and you can look around and say, that doesn't doesn't look like it. I don't know what heaven looks like, but it's not that. I don't know if the kingdom of God is supposed to look like, but if that's it, I'm out. Even though there's another, even though there's a kingdom of darkness that at times seems to reign in our society, we can all make a choice to voluntarily align ourselves with the king and his kingdom is found in all of those who make that choice. Second Samuel three, the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Again, this is where we live right now. The death and resurrection of Jesus. He defeated sin, Satan, death, sickness. All of that was defeated by his resurrection. We continue to live with the consequences of that. That verse that I read you, Saul was killed himself in battle. He realized he was going to die, and he kills himself. But his followers, or people who are loyal to him, continue to battle with David, it said, for a long time. It takes years for David to fully consolidate his power and his authority. So even though Saul is dead, David's been anointed, David has people following him, David is the king, there's still a battle that goes on. And there's still casualties in the midst of that. Although the outcome is totally, it's determined in God's eyes, because he's already said David's next, there's still a very real, there are very real battles going on and people really get hurt. And that's where we live right now. It's already, Jesus has already won. The ultimate outcome is not up for debate. There's no question, Jesus wins. Read Revelation. He's going to win. He has won. But we, our enemy still has some life in him. And so he's going to continue to fight. And we're going to continue to get hurt. That's just part of being in a war. There are casualties. So not everybody we pray for gets healed. Some will. Some won't. We're going to, not every relationship is going to be reconciled. Some will. Some won't. We're, we're still going to experience the, uh, the fallout of the fall, the effects of, of sin in our life, either in our own life or other people kind of projecting that onto us. That's just the reality of living in between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. His kingdom is breaking in and we can experience it and it's wonderful, but it's not going to be fully established until he returns. The war between the house of David and the house of Saul lasted a very long time. The war between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness lasted a very, 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 very long time. And we're living in the midst of it. And we have hope because we know Jesus wins. And if we, if we choose to align ourselves with him voluntarily, then you're on the winning team. For sure. You don't have to worry about that. However, you're still in the middle of a fight. In Joshua, I think it's five, an angel appears to Joshua. And Joshua says, whose side are you on? He said, I'm not on anybody's side. 
In the name of God, I've come. And that's where we are. God, it's not, God doesn't pick sides. We choose to be on his side. And we know ultimately we'll have victory. This is 2 Samuel 5. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a pact with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. He was 30 when he became king. He reigned for 40 years. So there is a time where he fully consolidates his power, and he does. He has a throne. He has a territory. You can draw it on a map. All of that. And there is a time when Jesus returns. That's what he's going to do. He's going to take everything. Philippians says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's the king and that he's the Lord. And that day is coming. I don't know when. Sometime in the future. It's a day closer today than it was yesterday. So we're, we're nearing it. We don't know when it's going to be. But it's a certainty. He's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to say it's all mine. Everything is mine. And if you've chosen to voluntarily at this point to align yourself with him, you're going to celebrate that day. You're going to say he's the king and he's the Lord. And if you've not made that decision, you're still going to recognize him as king and Lord because that's what he is. But you're not going to have a part in what he's doing. That's just kind of how that works. Everybody's going to recognize him as king and his kingdom will be fully and finally established. All of his enemies will be completely defeated. That's why Revelation can say there's no sin, there's no death, there's no crying, there's no mourning. There's none of that. All of those are enemies to God. They are being defeated, and ultimately they will be finally defeated. So that's Jesus' message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Near doesn't have anything to do with time. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is accessible. It's available. The door's open. You can walk into this kingdom of heaven if you desire right now. Verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Here's our verse, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus' message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus' method, the way he expands his kingdom, the way he expands his rule and reign, is he invites people into relationship with him who will then invite other people into relationship with him. That's the grand strategy. That's the method that he employs. He doesn't rent out stadiums. He doesn't take out billboards. He doesn't perform a bunch of tricks. And say he invites people to follow him who will invite others to follow him. That is his Method And there's two pieces to that. There's this idea, come and follow me in order to follow Jesus, Peter, James, John, Andrew. They had to quit what they were doing. Fishermen were, they were, that's upper middle class. They walked away from a good career. When it says they dropped their nets, that's like saying they quit their job is what they're saying. That's what Matthew's saying. They quit their job and they followed him. The other two left their father's family business and they walked away from family in order to follow him. There's a leaving that's required. If I'm following him, then I can't be following anyone else. There's a priority piece there for us that's important to hold on to. And so you've got this following him. That's, you, we can see that as a negative. There's a giving up. But there's also a, a giving back or a restoring. And I will make you fishers of men. They left a job and they got a calling. They traded up. They left family, temporary, temporal family, they got eternal family. Jesus invited them into his family, 
and into his community, what he is doing. The Bible says God gives back to us, pressed down, shaken together, and running over into our laps. Jesus says, anything you give up for me in the kingdom, you're going to get back times a hundred. It's hard to know what that looks like. That doesn't mean you put $10 in a little bucket when it goes around, you're going to get back a thousand necessarily. But there, that is, there, there's a truth there that we can't outgive God, that he does ask us to give things up for him, not because he wants to test our loyalty or anything like that, but because in order to follow him, that's a question of priority, and we can only have one top priority. If I'm following him, then I can't be following anyone else. And the promise along the way is you're going to get it back, and you're going to get back more than what you gave. You give up a job. You gave up a good job. I'm giving you purpose and calling that has eternal impact. You walked away from your family who you love. I'm going to, give you the, you're, I'm going to invite you into this community, these 12 guys who are going to live every day with you for the rest of your life and that will continue on into eternity. It's trading up with him. The message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near method, inviting others into relationship with him who will then invite others into relationship with him. Verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people were brought to him And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across Jordan followed him. This is Jesus' ministry and had two components. There was a show and a tell, proclamation, demonstration. He told them about the kingdom, and he demonstrated that the kingdom was coming. So he, everything he taught is the kingdom of heaven is near. And then the things that he did, healing people, delivering people from demons, multiplying food, all of that was a demonstration. See, I'm telling you the truth. This really is happening. The kingdom of darkness is being defeated. It's being driven back. And the kingdom of light is advancing. The values of God are being embodied and expressed in our world through his or through my ministry, if I'm Jesus talking in first person. So there's both of those components, show and tell proclamation, and demonstration. Message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Method, inviting others, inviting people into relationship who invite others into relationship. Ministry, proclamation, and demonstration. So for us, the takeaway, again, these are, these are quick snapshots is what these things are. But they, 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 start, they tell you everything that's coming. They're previews. Everything that you're going to see, you can find right here. In these three snapshots. And they still hold true today. The message is still the same. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The method is still the same. He invites people into a relationship with him. Who will then invite other people. Into a relationship with him. And the way we do that. Is by proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And demonstrating. That the kingdom has in fact come. I'm going to a little side note. Some of you sixth grade parents might need to slip out in a few minutes, and that's fine. I don't want you to wait for me to, dump, to be done. I know you all have to go grab your kids. So if that's you, you can slip out without offending me in the next couple of minutes as you need to do that. Back to us. So four things. You're, you're in one of four postures. There's only four postures anybody can have towards the Lord. We've talked about this before, but it, it's been a while. So if this is God and this is not God, so everything, it's not bad, it's just necessarily, it's just not him. Anything that's not him is this direction, and he 
is over here. We're all born with our back facing God. That's what original sin is or sin nature. So we're all born with our back facing him. And repentance, when you hear this invitation, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repentance is the invitation to do this and to turn around and to look at him. That's all it is. When we talk about becoming a Christian, when we talk about getting saved, when we talk about conversion, that all of that is just this. That's all it is. It's not. That's it. There may be emotions associated with it. There may not. It may be uh, for you. It can be a very simple process. Decision for others, it's more of a a long process. But there comes a point where you go from to, and it's a definitive moment in time. You might not be able to remember on the clock what time it was, but it happened. You went from death to life. You went from darkness to light. The Bible says we were translated from the kingdom of darkness and we were planted into the kingdom of the one that he loves. So that's a definitive moment. Moment. Nobody is born a Christian. Nobody is. We're born like this. No, and and we nobody accidentally. You don't trip into a relationship with Jesus. It's an intentional choice that we have to make. And I think for some of us, you don't become a Christian by osmosis. You don't become a Christian by being around other Christians by singing songs. You don't become a Christian by going to church or by giving or by being a good person or even by reading the Bible and praying. You become a Christian by saying, I acknowledge I'm looking in the wrong direction. I'm either putting my hope in something other than Jesus. I'm addicted to things that are uh, negative. They're pulling me away from him. I live in fear and worry and not in joy and peace. Uh, It's a recognition. I'm I'm looking in the wrong way. And so I'm going to turn around and now I'm going to look the right way. It's saying help. I recognize that I'm trying to do things on my own. I'm trying to pay my own way. What I need help. That's what the process of repentance really boils down to. Are you willing to acknowledge that you need help? That's what a savior is, someone who helps us. And again, that's not that's not, there's no you can't stumble into that. It's a it's a conscious decision. It may or may not be emotional. That doesn't matter. You might not have the jargon for it that doesn't matter either but in your heart you recognize i need help so we're all born like this and then as we live life some of us do this and we are walking away from the lord consciously or unconsciously our back is towards him and we're doing this and that's not good but that's what we're doing and we're moving away from him and what god will do and you can either say he causes this or he allows it i don't care Stuff will come into your life with the purpose of, of, of God saying, I want you to recognize the gap between me and you. I want you to recognize that you're moving in the wrong direction and you can't do this on your own. For some people, it's when their business fails. For some people, it's when a spouse walks out. For some people, it's when uh, something happens with their children. For some people, it's any number of things. It's a sickness. It's when, at some point, we realize I can't keep my life together Anymore, There's a big gap here, and that's God with a megaphone saying, will you please let me help you? Please, that's the gospel. Let me help you. And if we say yes, then we've repented, and we've done this. If we say no, then we continue to move in this direction. Now, some of you are wonderful people, and so this is you. Your back is to God, but you're walking in this way. And you're a better, you're a great husband or a great wife, you're a great employer, employer, you're nice, you're better than most of the Christians we know, but your back is still to him. 
And God's kind of reeling you in through experiences and relationships. But you're still, you're not facing the right way. You're walking the right way, but you're not facing the right way. And you can be all the way here. You're still looking the wrong way. You have, you're still not in. You haven't entered the kingdom because you haven't acknowledged, I need a savior. I need help. So, Wherever you are in terms of walking, if you're walking forwards or walking back, the repentance is the key piece for us. And it's not just initially when we become Christians. Yes, we repent. I did that when I was 12. So I have to continue to repent. Every time I'm looking this way now, but I can kind of do this. If you're a Baptist, they call that backsliding. So you're doing this. We're not Baptists. We don't use that phrase. So this is what you're doing or this is what I'm doing. I still need to repent in terms of acknowledging, you know what, I'm, I'm moving the wrong direction. And I need to begin to walk after him. again. I'm looking the right way, but I'm rock, walking the wrong way. And repentance for me as a Christian, it might not necessarily look so much like turning as it looks like recognizing I, I'm, it's, I, it's too much TV for me. Or I shouldn't be watching that. Or, you know what, I've got this anger thing and it's taking, or whatever it is for me, it's recognizing that's pulling me away and I need to acknowledge that and begin to walk back in this direction. I haven't turned my back on him. But I'm not walking after him either. You're, you're in one of those four positions. You're either looking at him, walking towards or away, or your back is to him and you're walking towards or away. Everyone who ever has, is, will live is it constantly in one of those four states. There's no such thing as staying still. Because he's moving. He says, follow me. So if you're staying still, then there's a gap that's increasing. And that's still his invitation. Repent. Acknowledge the areas of your life that are getting in the way. Acknowledge the obstacles. Acknowledge the hindrances. Acknowledge the distractions. And say, I'm walking in a different way. I'm going to walk away from that. And I'm going to turn towards you and love and devotion. And as you do that, this invitation to follow him is he says, well, then ask other people to get in to get on board as well. Ask other people to follow me. And the way you ask them to follow me is by talking to them, being able to explain. You don't have to use a silly demonstration, but be, be able to explain the gospel to them and then demonstrate that it's true. Serve them. That's a demonstration of the gospel. When you choose to serve instead of to be served. Extend grace and mercy to people. That's a demonstration that the kingdom has come. Those are the values of the king. Pray for them. If someone is sick, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? Real quick. Ten seconds. It doesn't have to be ten minutes. God, heal, blank, in the name of Jesus, amen. That's all you have to say. He doesn't answer us because we pray a lot of words. So just real simple. If you're tangent, if you're not comfortable praying for people like that, this is my an easy on-ramp. Send them an email. Hey, I was thinking about you this morning. I know you've got this going on. I want you to know this is... Don't just say, I prayed for you this morning. Say, this is what I prayed for you this morning. And be whatever you prayed. Stick it in the email and send it. Let me know if you want to follow up. Let me know how things go. Keep me posted, whatever. And send it to them. They might delete it and you'll never know. They'll either bring it up again or they won't. But they'll know, hey, this was something specific that was prayed. And when God moves in their life and it lines up with the prayer you prayed and you start putting the pieces together if you're not comfortable yet just saying to somebody i want to pray for you send them an email and tell them what you prayed that's kind of a low impact way of doing that all of those are demonstrations of the fact that the kingdom is coming and we need both 
We don't want people to believe us because we're great arguers. We don't want people to say yes to Jesus because we've backed them into a corner or because we've scared them about hell or because we've any of those things. We don't want their faith based on us at all or our ability to argue or our ability to answer all their questions. Those things are fine, but no, we don't want anybody's faith based on that. That's not strong enough. We want it based on their interaction with God. And that's where the demonstration piece comes in. I'm not asking you to believe me because I'm saying this. Look here. I've been I've talked with guys who I'm who are trying to figure out the whole Christianity thing. And when God answers a prayer for them, that's that that's like 10 hours of meeting with somebody in 10 seconds. It's done. How can you deny that God did this? Those types of things are wonderful. That's a demonstration piece. And we want to be people who are comfortable doing that. So the message is the same. He's asking all of us to repent because the kingdom is available. We can live under his care and his supervision today. He's asking, saying, follow me and ask others to follow me. And the way you do that is you tell them and you show them what the kingdom of God is like. Let's pray. God, my prayer first is for any in this room who have not repented, who've never said, I need help, I need a Savior. God, if there are any in this room who would say, that's me, I pray that you would speak to them. They would hear you saying very clearly, ask. You just ask, and I'm there. God, for those of us who have said yes to you, I pray that we would be people who don't just look in the right direction, but we walk in the right direction as well, that you would give us grace to follow you. And that you would also, God, I pray, anoint us to invite others to do that. I pray it would be difficult for people to go to hell in our community because there's Dozens and dozens and hundreds and even thousands of people who are talking about the kingdom and demonstrating the kingdom. It would be hard for people to live in fear and anxiety. and It would be hard for people to live in addictions and guilt. It would be hard for people to stay isolated and ostracized because your people who are in relationship with you are inviting others into that relationship through word and through deed. We're not asking for people to come to this church, God. We're asking for people to enter into the kingdom of God. For our children, for our spouses, for our parents, for our siblings, for our teachers and our co-workers, for our bosses and employees. God, for the people who we are deeply invested in and the people who we casually connect with during the week. God, we're asking for them that they would hear you say, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. And that they would say, okay, I'm in. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this is our small group Sunday. So uh, for me, this whole idea of Jesus' message and method and ministry.